Greetings and welcome to Trinity Radio Extra. I'm Jonathan Pritchett, and today we are going to give a brief socio-rhetorical interpretation of James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Now, obviously, this is not a very controversial chapter, so it's not going to be that exciting, but uh, there might be something in there that's interesting. In any case, uh, there's a lot of talk now about what the meaning of faith is, what about justification by faith alone, or... Uh, sola fide, some people say salvation by faith alone because they think salvation and justification are synonymous terms, but they're not. Um, justification is one aspect of salvation. But anyway, a lot of discussion has come about. We were recently asked on a uh, Trinity Radio episode, do you think that that is an essential doctrine? And of course, uh, my answer seemed to be confusing to some people because there's a lot of issues that, that you know weren't addressed in the question. Um, so the question didn't give enough information about where, where the person's coming from, or do, do, do they mean by salvation by faith alone or justification by faith alone? Uh, you find within the literature that people go back and forth on that. Um, are they talking about a specific write-up of or exposition of the doctrine? Um, do I think that that's essential? Um, to be honest, I don't. Um, I, I think to say that you're saved by grace alone is essential to Christianity. Um, and I don't know that any branch of Christianity denies that. Of course, there's a, also a lot of discussion of what grace is and, and what are the ethos of grace in the ancient Mediterranean world with respect to the socioeconomic arrangements, patron-client reciprocity, and how those dynamics are at play in the New Testament text and so forth. But Again, there's just a lot of uh, discussions about that in the literature now. So, and I think that that's good and healthy. Um, so, for me, uh, I I don't really do theology by slogan. So these slogans don't mean anything to me. Uh, I I just don't particularly care to do it like that. As if when someone says something like "I'm an Arminian," well. How many hundreds of flavors of that is there now? So it's always good to know uh, who you're talking to and what they mean by faith alone. But I, in general, I don't think that any uh, theories of justification that are uh, 500 years old uh, are essential to a historic faith that's been around for 2,000 years. So any particular formulation that came along less than 500 years ago um, that, that differs from other ways of thinking about justification... Um, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm calling that one non-essential for, well, I don't even know what, essential for what? To be saved? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think you have to say, uh-huh, to a certain justification theory. Um, is it a, uh, imputation? Is it a incorporation? Is it an infusion? You know, how does all that work? Yeah, people differ on that stuff. They, they have, um. I think that probably in the Reformation, uh, there was a, a lot of uh, unfortunate, uh, well, bloodshed, uh, among other things, that, that went on and hostilities um, that went on during that time period that, that I don't think were uh, over this, this topic. Uh, I don't think that the squabbles of uh, the Catholics and the Protestant Reformers uh, in the 16th century was really what 
Paul and James and so forth were on about in books like James and Romans and Galatians. Uh, so I don't, the issues aren't the same. And how you hash those things up uh, and then make application for uh, theology, uh, systematic theology, practical theology, all that, um, the difference, differences abound and have. So, uh, you know, we can only do the best that we can with the data that we have. So I, I'm, I'm personally, being more in the paleo-orthodox camp, not going to say uh, 500-year-old formulations uh, are essential for salvation to, you know, for God to, 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 if, it, it, to let me put it another way. You are not justified by your doctrinal formulation on justification. Uh, you cannot understand anything about justification at all. You can not be interested in the topics and debates and theology and all that, but be a Christian and be justified. Whatever is right about it, God can justify it. So it, it's really, um, it's really not. What we can know for sure is that if you think that, uh, as Paul was going on about, that you could be justified by works of the law, no, that's impossible. And if you think you can be justified by faith in Christ, however you define faith, uh, plus adding works of the law as a requirement to be defined as God's eschatological people, that's a heresy. That we know, that's what, I mean, that's, that's what we find in the text. Um, now, how that shakes out to other ideas, and can we throw every idea about doing stuff into the bag of works of the law, I, I don't think it's that simple. So, Anyway, there's a lot of issues there, and I'm not going to go through all of them or try to give answers that are going to satisfy anybody, let alone everybody. But I am going to run through what I think James is on about in this passage. So we're going to read it first. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you, my, show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Was it Abraham our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So let's first explore this intertexture just on face value. Verses uh, 14 through 17, verse 14 opens with rhetorical questions, which is the beginning of this diatribe here that we're reading, which is a rhetorical device in the ancient Greco-Roman world. 
the obvious answer to these rhetorical questions is no. The hypothetical situation posited in verse 15 and 16, the parable there, it demonstrates this point. The theme of helping the poor and needy resurfaces yet again here in this part as it does uh, as it has previously and, and throughout the book of James. Okay, Verse 17 provides that emphatic no to all those questions. See, this is discussing a kind of faith without works. Does someone with a faith that is, without works, have a faith that saves? Well, verse 14 opens with that rhetorical question and an implied no, that, the, you know, can that faith save him? No. Uh, this kind of workless faith, or a claim to have faith, it could, either way, um, whether it's a claim to have faith that's non-existent, or it's uh, a faith, and James continues to use the word faith as if it is a kind of faith, just a, a useless one. Um, so whether the, the person is merely claiming faith but really doesn't have it or has a kind of faith that James says is worthless, I, I lean that it is a kind of faith, and James continues to use the word faith and disparage it as if it's worth uh, worthless and dead, uh, useless, that kind of thing. So it, I, I go, it's, it's more than just someone who claims to have faith, but really doesn't. There's a sense in which you can use that pistis word group to mean uh, believe something or, or you, know, you know, just intellectually assent to something. Of course, the range goes broader and deeper than that. I, I do think um, Matthew Bates' salvation by allegiance alone, allegiance being a good word to encapsulate all the nuances of faith, uh, when it's talking about um, faith in Jesus and, and what kind of saving faith there is. But you don't use the word allegiance for every instance of pistis there is in the New Testament, for example, because it, it can just mean that in, in different nuances and in, in different uh, uh, passages and context kind of determines how you use that. But I, I do think that, um, you know, he, he demonstrates from... from uh, you know, the second temple literature from Josephus and elsewhere, that that sense is really probably a good sense to use when we're talking about faith in Jesus. Uh, but what's interesting is all the discussion around Bates. Bates has said really nothing new, whether people use faithfulness or fidelity or loyalty or a trust commitment or believing allegiance or other phrases. A lot of New Testament scholars and biblical scholars uh especially in, in the older groups like the context group who, who looks at social science interpretation. That's members past and present, you know, uh, run the spectrum of conservative confessional all the way to liberal scholarship. But that's just the way that a lot of people have talked about this in New Testament scholarship for a long time about Pistis. So when I read Bates, I didn't find anything groundbreaking um, in the sense of saying, maybe we should think of faith this way. Now, to Bates' credit, and I, I do hope to have him on the show, uh, there was a lot of groundbreaking stuff that didn't get as much attention as, as, as uh, his main thesis, but I think chapters, uh, I believe it was chapters 6 and 7, and uh, was really exhilarating for me to read, and, and because there was a lot of stuff there that I hadn't put together the way he did about the Imago Dei and other things, 
uh, not in the way that he expressed it. And I, th I thought that was all. And that's kind of what I want to talk to him about if I ever get the chance to interview him and uh, if he comes on, because I, I thought that was really exciting. But as far as hearing the this idea that faith is more than just mental assent to something, that, that was nothing new. So anyway, back to this um, in verses 18 and 19. And there is, you know, a lot of question of, of what... Uh, the interlocutor says, and when James starts speaking again, is it after 18a? Is it after 18b? Is it after 19a? But it really doesn't matter because whatever the whether whether or not the interlocutor says the more than just what is normally quoted, like what we had here in our text, um, you have faith, I have works, and then the show me is James or the show me is the interlocutor. It really doesn't matter because what James is concocting from the interlocutor is the essential problem that he's addressing, that there's this idea of a, not just a distinction between faith and works, but a uh, difference in understanding uh, that these two could be completely separate, as if they don't have a closer connection. And that's the issue that James is trying to address here. So in verses 18 and 19, the diatribe continues uh, with, the, you know, the interlocutor begins to make a statement. Um, we can surmise that the identity of the interlocutor is certainly a Jewish Christian among this community or representing one. Um, if James had no occasion to bring this up, uh, we wouldn't find this uh, section in the epistle. So it seems likely that this interlocutor is representing some things that he feels strongly needs to be addressed. The two understandings of faith are contrasted, a faith without works and a faith demonstrated by works. Uh, the main problem, the view that faith and works can be viewed as separate gifts of God and not taken together. That's what James is addressing, and the response of James to this dichotomy of faith and works is to bring them together in their right understanding or proper understanding. And he gives somewhat sarcastic conclusion to the response uh, to the interlocutor where he exposes the weakness of a workless faith, um, namely that that kind of faith is good enough to rival shuddering demons. Good for you. Congratulations. That's, you know, you can tell the sarcasm. Of course, James is, he's, he's quite bombastic throughout the letter, you know, adulterers, and, and all, you know, he's, it, I just, uh, he, that endears me to, to James. It's endearing to my heart. Anyway, uh, one wonders why, right? Uh, verses 20 through 26, the central thesis is restated in somewhat of a shaming manner and is mentioned again to conclude the whole section here that faith without works is useless. And the two examples of people with a working faith are brought up to reinforce the point from a place of authority that is shared between our author James and his audience um, from the scriptures. So he brings up Abraham and he brings up uh, Rahab. And James states unequivocally in the plainest language possible that both Abraham and Rahab were justified by works. So faith itself, so three times in this section you hear a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wasn't Abraham justified by faith? It wasn't Rahab justified, I mean, ju wasn't Abraham justified by works and Rahab justified by works? That's three times. Uh, it continues to say faith itself works with works and works perfect, or in some translations, complete faith. 
So it's plain then that for James, dealing with the situation that he's dealing with, with the kind of person that, that he's interacting with, it made perfect sense to him, contrary to later slogans, to say a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, people who do believe in uh, sola fide would probably have little, I mean, they may quibble here and there, but probably agree um, with me that were they faced in a similar situation, even though they believe in justification by faith alone, or salvation by faith alone, that uh, there is an occasion, obviously, because Jesus' own brother found one, where you can say, it makes perfect sense to say, justification by works and not by faith alone. You're justified by works and not by faith alone. That is this occasion. So Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac demonstrated his working faith, and Rahab's assistance to the spies, uh, that demonstrated her working faith. And so if you come to someone who has an idea that, uh, you know, faith is one thing, and not just distinguishable, but completely separate from works being a totally other thing, and that's your understanding of faith, and... James is trying to say, no, that's the wrong understanding of faith. So to the person with that kind of idea in his head, it makes perfect sense. Well, if that's what you think faith is, then, yeah, you're justified by works, not by faith alone. If that's how, you're, if that's how you think about faith, pistis. So that also uh, lets us know um, and that one of the nuances about faith is that it could be seen as mere mental assent to a proposition like God is one or, you know, uh, Jesus died for my sins or is my faith. I believe Jesus did this, you know, a mental assent. A pistis word group can account for that meaning, but it also can account for other meanings, um, which I think reinforces uh, Bates' case. This is a great passage. He didn't actually really get into this, uh, especially verse 24. Uh, he briefly touched on James a little bit, but but didn't really get into a exposition of this, which I didn't think he needed to. So, but I, I think when we when we see how faith can be used and understood uh, in Paul, which was where Bates' primary focus was to bring out the dimension of allegiance being a better term in, in a lot of texts, this would be an example where Bates would say. You see, uh, you don't have to use that in every instance because of the, the range of the word pistis could mean something like that. So I think this actually lends support to that. So this is the kind of situation that you can say unequivocally, plainly, without any problems, without being scared of, of declarations of being a heretic, that, yeah, you're justified by works, not by faith alone. If you believe there is never an occasion to say it, uh, then you have a problem with Jesus' brother. I simply don't, but uh, I don't for uh, several reasons. Uh, one, I explained at the beginning of the video that I, I think a lot of this is fair to discuss. Uh, everyone believes, you know, Protestant, Catholic, people, you know, Reformed, Arminian, Orthodox, whoever, everyone believes what the text says. Everyone's discussing what it means. I, I'm, I'm glad you believe what the text says. Now, we should try to understand it rightly, um, which means uh, agree with me until I change my mind and then agree with me. 
right? But we should try to understand the right, uh, text rightly. And there is one right answer to all of these questions. It's just, do I want to throw out, uh, do I want to anathematize everybody like Trent does or uh, anathematize everyone else like the, the reformers did that, 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 you know, go to mass on something? No, I'm, that's not what I do. But, and that's really, it's meaningless when somebody on the internet says, oh, they're heretics. Okay. Um, we have a rich tradition going back to 2,000 years of, of what it has been ecumenically decided to be heresy and to watch out for. Um, and those issues are still around, believe it or not. That's enough to, to counter right now, uh, at least for, for what I want to spend my time on. So let's look at the intertexture, some echoes and allusions um, that we find uh, in, in this passage. In verses 14 through 19, go in peace. This is a typical Jewish form of greeting or farewell or blessing. It emphasizes the confidence that uh, a person's wishes will be granted. Uh, you can find this kind of thing. Uh, Jude, uh, 1 Samuel 1, 17, 20, uh, verse 42, and 29, 7. 2 Samuel 15, 9. Uh, Judges 18, 6. Uh, Mark 5, 34. Acts uh, 1636, Luke 7, verse 50, uh, Luke 10, verse 5, things like that, you know. And of course, God is one echoes the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Uh, that's a big echo, you know, and that's an important one, too. And even evoking that, James actually does it in a sarcastic way. Good for you! Yay, you believe God is one. You believe like foundational orthodoxy for them. Um, great, so do demons, okay? You know, I mean, that's... Oh, I just love James. Uh, yeah, that kind of hammers home his point about what kind of faith uh, that he would use that phrase in the manner to, to, to explain his point, I, almost in an irreverent way, which gives you a sense of just how important this really is to him, uh, this idea of this separation of, uh, 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 of faith from works and that a faith without him is a dead, useless thing, uh, the urgency that he's willing to go to that well and draw from it in the way that he does to help reinforce his point. In verses 20 and 24, Abraham is mentioned, combining the implications um, of Genesis 15 and Genesis 22 in this kind of midrashic form. Uh, you know, of course, Paul in his discussions on justification appeals to the same actual citation. But James draws on more than that. He also draws on second temple traditions about Abraham found in passages such as Jubilees 23 verse 10, which reads, For Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all of the days of his life. In Sirach 44:19, Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. First uh, Maccabees 2:51 and 52. Remember the deeds of the fathers, which they did in their generations, and received great honor and an everlasting name. Was not Abraham found faithful when tested, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? Pulling from um, all of these Second Temple uh, traditions, as well as uh, Genesis text. Of course, we can find in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 and 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and 
He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac your descendants be named. He considered that God was able to raise men from the dead. Hence, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, that's a very interesting uh, way and in insight into how Abraham figures into his argument here and the traditions that he's drawing from, from elsewhere, that, are, that would be, you know, held in common and well known to his audience. Verses 25 and 26, of course, Rahab from Joshua 2 in uh, chapter 6, 16 to 25, is mentioned as his second proof. Hebrews 11.31 also echoes Rahab's faith. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. That idea of hospitality, which is also one of the things that Abraham was revered for. Uh, Rahab is in the genealogical tradition of uh, Jesus. So the analogy of verse 26 regarding body and spirit, this, of course, assumes the standard Jewish anthropology that we find in Genesis 2, 7, 6, 17, Psalm 31, 5, Ezekiel 37, 8 through 10, Luke 8, 55, uh, verse 20, uh, 23, 46, and we find in 1 Corinthians 7, 34. So hearkening all of these uh, uh, ideas uh, of Jewish thought, kind of floating in the background here of uh, this passage. Now, when we look at the sociocultural texture, we see that James, of course, is using a diatribe, um, a rhetorical device in the ancient world. Uh, James seeks to answer the challenge with a riposte to shame those who would make a false dichotomy between faith and works. See, this workless faith, per his parable, is contrary to Christ and the Torah that Christ himself fulfilled. To have a workless faith is to bring shame upon God, to bring shame upon Christ, and to bring shame upon the community of faith. To, to, to claim uh, that you believe all of these things about Jesus, and yet this is how you live, you know? That you live in a way that seems contrary to what you profess. This, this, is, a, this is an issue... Uh, a practical theological issue that carries on into the church today, uh, and not just about, you know, are we representing with the, the kind of thing that he brings up, uh, representing Christ well uh, in behaviors that give someone a well wish but don't actually do anything. We do hear a lot of talk like that, but we don't hear much talk about other behaviors that may bring shame upon Christ, um, and I think there are plenty of that going on as well. But anyway, um, to be scarcely clothed and uh, unable to be fed in the ancient world, the, the people in James's parable, the, the culture of that time would look at that as a mark of shame, that there would be people left in this kind of condition. But for the believing community of Christians, the faith in Jesus people, the faith in Jesus people were a fictive kinship meaning we're brothers and sisters, not by blood, but by bond. And so, by bond in Christ. And for a brother or sister in this fictive kinship relations of, of the community of believers, the church, to, to, to leave their kin like that, that is shameful. 
to do that to your own family because it is a mark of shame on members of family if they're already in the ancient world anyway if they are already destitute people make all sorts of assumptions uh about their condition and so good or bad is what it was it's a mark of shame uh to to outsiders to other people but the community of family that's supposed to look after them they would be shamed as well and it would bring shame upon them if they left them in that state. So this, and of course, uh, when it comes to the poor, that's, of course, near and dear to James Harvest all through his uh, uh, epistle here. You read in Acts, I mean, the one thing we're, we're always reminded of uh, by Paul and Acts and his epistles is James said, remember the poor, and I'm, I'm making every effort. I'm That, that one, I, yeah, I got you. I got you, James. Paul's like, yeah, I make every effort to do that, you know. That's near and dear to James' heart. Um, so this this idea of behaving that way and living out that way is contrary to the communitarian living that James expects from his Jewish believing audience. So James brings this to shame situation to the attention of his audience in that, look, okay, we know that faith without works is dead, okay, and we know that if this is how you understand it, you see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone, right? Abraham was justified by uh, works, okay? Rahab justified by works. And so Abraham would be like to every everyone in his audience, like that's the most reverent example that you could possibly think of, you know? Be like Abraham, but if that's too much for you, if you just can't live up to that high of a standard, uh, at least live up the standard uh, of a working faith that a prostitute has. Can you do that? Maybe. You know, that's what he's trying to communicate here using the perfect examples. Okay, primarily Jewish audience, if you can't, if you can't have the working faith of Abraham, have the working faith of a Gentile hooker. Uh, that's what he wants his audience to understand. This notion of hospitality uh, in the ancient world, including uh, what we find all throughout scriptures, we just read about it in Hebrews, is among one of the highest honorable virtues. And Abraham and Rahab are linked by James due to this virtue of Abraham, who was kind of revered for his hospitality uh, in Jewish traditions, all stemming from Genesis 18. So they're linked for a couple of interesting reasons there. Uh, one, they have something in common that relates to the parable. And two, one is a Jewish example. Uh, well, not, I mean, Abraham's not Jewish, but one that the Jew Jews would revere um, and count it as their patriarch. That's, you know, and probably say, yeah, I mean, he really is Jewish, the first Jew, right? I mean, that's kind of their attitude about him, their forefather uh, of the Israelite people. So they can speak of him, of following the law and all that stuff in their later traditions. So, uh, you know, you've got that, and then you have... Rahab, you know, the Gentile, the prostitute, who was also justified by works uh, for what she did to help the spies. So, a really genius way of, of linking all this. It's, it's a lot more uh, interesting than just kind of reading it on the surface when you kind of look under the hood to what James is trying to communicate here. Ideologically, when we look at that texture, we see, of course, James is uh, writing from the perspective of a Torah-observant Jew living in Jerusalem. 
but Jews in the diaspora probably said a lot more lightly to a as strict of a Torah observance, right? So you, you, the temple's not there. It's a longer trek to ever go. You know, we, we have a lot of social pressures out here. Um, it's probably why a lot of uh, Jews would find, you know, in, in, just in, in general, uh, the further you get away from Jerusalem and Israel, uh, and Paul going to, you know, says, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. And then, you know, goes to the synagogue everywhere he goes first, right? Because he still has this first to the Jew, uh, then to the, the Gentile, or then to the Greek. So it's always in his head. He's still always trying to reach Jews, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles in the most formal sense. Um, that would look pretty good to them. Okay? Oh, yeah. This is not necessary in Christ. Now, at the same time, I don't think Paul personally, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I don't think Paul personally would care um, that if you're Jewish and you go on doing Jewish stuff, as long as you don't put any justification stock in that, yeah, cool. But as far as trying to say, this is how God justifies, no. That's the faith in Jesus system not this works of Torah system. This over here, faith in Jesus, this is the way. This is how God, this is the righteousness of God um, that has been, though it was testified in, in that over there, uh, that was never able to, to justify or give life. This is the thing. It's apart from that, uh, but testified over there. This is the revealing of that. And so the people who want to be declared righteous by God, that's um, this camp. But, if you're in this camp and you put no more justification stock in this, this is how this is the identity way of uh, who God's eschatological people are. Then, yeah, keep keep doing doing all that stuff as long as you don't read more into it than what's there. But Gentiles out in the diaspora, I mean Jews out in the diaspora, they would probably be open more and receptive to uh, if as much of that as they could let go at at that time. They'd be cool with that because there's a lot of evidence, it seems, that, that you know, it's, it's one thing to live in Jerusalem and be observant as, as those in Israel uh, and specifically Jerusalem were. It's another thing to have to live out here, you know. And so for those that live out here, there's evidence that they were sitting loosely to a lot of uh, the Torah observance requirements, you know, they wanted to participate in society and, and conduct business in society. And so they they probably made more compromises um, with that, which would make it attractive. So if that's already their disposition to sit lightly from something, uh, it makes sense that, that, that James would be the way that he is talking to that kind of audience from his frame of reference, right? Uh, James demands a strict moral adherence to the law. Uh, and if not, also to a typical stricter Torah observance for Jewish believers in general, right? That you know, that's just seems to be his way of thinking. So that's his James and his audience. And what about us? You know, our vision of theology in the West is real Gentile oriented, uh, and in. 
Protestant traditions, it's certainly more Pauline-oriented, how everyone understands Pauline theology, especially these days. Uh, but James challenges us not to confuse what our ideas are, whether they're right or wrong, about Pauline thinking. Uh, don't confuse your ideas about Pauline thinking with Pauline-only ways of thinking, right? James gets his say, too. Um, and whatever problems you have with James is not James's problem, right? And, you know, whether you want to preserve your idea of what Pauline theology amounts to, uh, and James has to be conformed to that, so you will do whatever you have to to James to, short of Martin Luther chunking it, wanting to chunk it, uh, you know, he you know, he wanted to pitch it into the furnace. We can see why. Uh, but, you know, if you want to do everything short of that to make James say something he actually doesn't, that's way too far. There are a lot of uh, creative solutions uh, for James uh, from what we're doing from our ideological standpoint uh, in the contemporary West. Uh, Western systems of, uh, and streams of theological traditions. But, yeah, we come to this, and, and James is going to challenge everybody. Um, at 43, and getting interested in this kind of thing since I was 17 or 18, I've probably had different views of James that go from the same vocabulary, different dictionary explanation to, you know, uh, ideas that... Well, James is not talking about salvation, you know, he's talking about, you know, being saved from being useless. And he's not talking about justification, justification, he's talking about justification in front of men, even though he references Abraham believing God and was reckoned to him as righteousness from God, the same example Paul used. There are all kinds of ways to get creative with this text that I find thoroughly unconvincing. I'm just happy uh, to let James say his piece and try to understand why and not care about systematic theology so much. Now, looking at the sacred texture, uh, this passage is certainly soteriological. What is saving faith? I don't think there's any way that's not just totally disingenuous uh, to think otherwise. Uh, and it does deal with justification, and it states rather plainly that justification is by works and not by faith alone. Regardless of how you understand the context, he says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He says justified by works three times in this passage as if to emphasize it, right? So, of course... Uh, Reformation-era slogans need to bow the knee to biblical statements that are plain and obvious. This passage informs us that the proper way to be rightly related to God is to have a working faith. James's interlocutor here sees faith and works as separate. James obviously sees them as things that you can distinguish. He doesn't say it's not faith at all. He says it's a worthless faith. It's a demonic faith. You know, it's a dead faith. Uh... And he sees faith and works as something that is inseparable. See, for James, it is not either faith or works. And for James, it is not even faith plus works, right? But for James, the way he ties these things together is um, that 
faith is a working faith because faith works with works. You know, it's active together with works and it completes works. It shows works. And in the case of Abraham, especially, it fulfills scripture, right? That's four ideas that James has to try to interlock these things that a, a working, you know, faith and works are so bound up that we can say working faith right? Or faith works or something like that, that people try to come up with. I like allegiance from, uh, you know, the the more social scientific perspective of these texts and Matthew Bates, you know, loyalty, fidelity. Uh, I like that because that encapsulates this idea of trying to say faith works or something catchy like that. Uh, no, it's not, it's not belief or assent alone to, to whatever. It's, it's allegiance. It's a fully embodied loyalty it's a it's a full fully or mental acceptance of, of the proposition right it's 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 a enacted obedience uh or an active obedience to this it's a public demonstration public confession uh, of christ that that's all bound up in the idea of allegiance which is why i think it's a good a good word to use um but Whatever, but I'm also whatever. We want to keep using faith as long as we understand what right faith is, because that's James's point here. What's what's right faith? Uh, it's a faith uh, that that works because uh, works work with faith, works complete or perfect faith, works fulfill scripture, and works demonstrate faith. All of those things. It's not just faith prove or works prove that you had a real saving faith. That goes back to these things are distinguished. I mean, separate, not just merely, not merely distinguishable, but absolutely separate. No, that 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 that, that kind of cause effect thing. I uh, I don't I don't see that. It's just the justified people are justified because they're in Christ, right? And those people have this working faith, and that's that's the justification right there. So faulty understandings of faith uh, will never lead to any ideas of justification by faith alone because James has ruled that out. But a proper understanding of faith could lead to a sense of justification by faith alone because a proper understanding of faith sees faith and works as inseparable over the course of, uh, of a believer's lifetime. So taking the course of a believer's lifetime... Uh, this idea of an embodied loyalty, this public confession, this idea of mental uh, affirmations of belief and trust in Jesus operates that way. That saving faith operates that way. The kind of faith that saves. The kind of faith that can that kind of faith save him if Jacob were to ask a rhetorical question in verse 27 and that doesn't exist. He'd say, yep, that's it, right? And if you say justification or salvation even by that kind of faith alone, yeah, as long as we know what we're talking about by faith, faith alone, because faith alone it has its object of Christ, and when you have a saving faith in Christ, it does all of those things I just said. Awesome, right? So if that faith alone, great. Um, James's view here of demonology is actually consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Demons are real, right? And the demons, they know God. They know who Jesus is. But of course, James is the only person in the Bible that ever links this idea with faith, which is interesting, which kind of says that he's not talking about a non-existent kind of faith that doesn't actually exist, so we shouldn't call it faith anyway. No, he's saying that's this faith. Um, it's just a dead, useless belief that you have. It's what demons have. 
So if I were to preach this, if we look at the, or teach this like I'm doing now, what, what, what would I draw from it? I would draw from it that workless faith can't justify and since, worthless, since people who are the people of Christ are justified by faith in Christ, it can't save. Because all justification and salvation aren't identical, but everyone who is saved will be justified, right? And is justified. Has been justified. Past, present, and future, because they're in Christ, right? But a workless faith, that's not the kind of faith that saves. Improper definitions of faith need to be distinguished and corrected from the proper understandings of faith. And James does that here, and so we need to be well reminded of it. That reminder is namely that faith works. Faith works with works. Faith uh, works perfect faith and uh, can fulfill Scripture. James tells us that works show, works together with, perfects and fulfills faith. Verse 18, 22a, 22b, and verse 23. And finally, I'll reiterate what I've already said. If you can't have the working faith of Abraham, if that's too high of, of a lofty of an aspiration for you, have the working kind of faith that a hooker has. You can at least get that, that, that much going for you, right? Uh, that's where uh, I'll leave it uh, as far as going through that text. I'm sure everyone has quibbles. Don't care. Um, I really don't. Um, I, you know, if I would find quibbles with your interpretation, but quibbles are no big deal. Um, some of you probably have serious gripes. You know, the earth will continue to spin on its axis. So, do I believe in justification by faith alone? Yes and no. Depending on the conversation. If I'm having, a, if I'm having to address a situation in the same way that, 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 uh, uh, James is doing? No, uh, I don't. Uh, you know, but uh, if you understand faith rightly, uh, sure. If you understand faith wrongly, uh, I think I can stand with James and say, uh, no, that's not, that's, that kind of faith is useless. you got to understand a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And if it's good enough for James to find an occasion to say it, it's good enough for me to say it in the same similar kind of occasion where somebody has this issue about uh, there's faith over here, and it's not just distinguishable from, but it's completely separate from works, and you can have one and I can have the other, and... Uh, you can have this uh, faith can be this thing that says no to uh, somebody in need that's part of uh, the believing community. No, that, no that's, that's not faith. That's not saving faith. So it all depends on the conversation. Of course, I don't really care to say, I believe in justification by faith alone. Why? Because it's, it's not my slogan. Um, I'm not in the Reformed tradition. Uh, I'm by default Protestant, but I really more appeal to the paleo-orthodoxy uh, camp, so I'm not really beholden myself to 500-year-old ideas. I want my ideas a lot older. But... It's fine if you get justification by faith alone right. If defined rightly, everybody can believe it. Defined poorly, I don't think anyone believes it. So, you know, it depends on which definition you want to look at. So, yes and no, depending on the conversation. What do I believe? Well, okay, if by faith alone you mean we are justified by grace, 
justified by Jesus' blood, justified by Jesus' resurrection, justified by faith apart from works of the law, and by works and not by faith alone. If justification by faith alone, you mean those five things that we can find in these verses up here, you know, Romans 3.24, Romans 5.8, Romans 4.25, Romans 3.28, and uh, Galatians 2.16, and James 2.24. If by justification by faith alone, you mean all five of those things, then great, you agree with the Bible, because that's, that's what I believe about justification. Those, all that about justification. Um, now, you agree with the Bible if you believe all five of those things. You might not believe much in the English language and what the word alone means, but at least you agree with the Bible. Because that's what I believe about justification. I believe like five things. If that means, if five things means alone, okay, uh, but uh, it's kind of a weird way to say it. But uh, if you believe something else uh, than what the Bible says about justification, that's your business. So there you go. That's my position on justification by faith alone. Uh, depends on what we're talking about. Now, and are, are James and Paul on the same page? Well, when I look at the book of Galatians, uh, Paul's addressing justification there, and it says that faith in Christ, allegiance in Christ, if you will, whatever you want to say, loyalty, fidelity to Christ, but belief in Christ, faith in Christ, not faith in Christ plus works of the law, or just works of the law, justify. It's just the faith in Jesus is the box here. This ain't the box, and you can't snug this box with this box and say these two have to be together to be justification, or that this is justification. Only this is justification, faith in Jesus, what, whatever you think about faith. You should think about what I think about it, but if you don't, I don't care. Um, that's your business, too. Uh, Paul, in the book of Romans, he's saying uh, the eschatological people of God are the faith in Jesus people, not works of the law people. Faith in Jesus, that's how you know people are justified. Works of the law, this, this camp over here, uh, the Jews want to establish their own righteousness with this, but this has not ever been and will never be how God declares anyone righteous. That's Romans. James is addressing, uh, here's this dead, worthless, workless, faith of demons faith. That's wrong. Here's a faith that works works together with faith. It's active together. It completes faith. It fulfills. It shows faith. This, this faith, right faith. Now, if you think about these conversations in Galatians and Romans and the book of James, we're talking about apples and oranges here. It's not even, they're, they're not the same issue. We see works like our, our words, the buzzwords of justify and save and and works and all of that and we think they're having the same these are they're having the same issues no they're using the same subjects but they're talking about them in different occasions for different purposes it's apples and oranges they're not the same conversations so whether or not james and paul had some personal disagreements it seems that there was even if they had zero disagreements i i don't think that that's likely what they wrote in the texts have zero disagreements. Um, and there seems to be a strong impression that at least some men from James had the impression that they had a disagreement, and they got Peter in trouble, and Paul called him out, you know. 
but whether James and Paul ever had any disagreements or whether it was a perception that they had disagreements, I think that's valid. It uh, doesn't matter because anything that they wrote in God-inspired scripture doesn't conflict at all. They don't, uh, they don't disagree anywhere. Right? I think Paul would say amen to what James is saying, and James would say amen to what Paul is saying because they're not saying the same things about the same issues using the same words, and I think they're using the same words, and they mean by those words what the other person means by those words. Say, justify. Uh, what they don't mean is works and works of the law. Right? For James, he's on about the royal law. You know, he's on about what Paul would probably call, like, the law of Christ. Right? Um the law of liberty, the Spirit's law of life in Christ, so so forth. I mean, Paul doesn't even jettison all uh, language of the law. He, his problem is Jews are trying to establish righteousness by works of the law, and that ain't going to work because all the law does is bring about sin, right? And Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death, and, and so you need to be baptized into Christ, right? And that's by your faith in Christ, not by this business over here. So that that's... That's what Paul's talking about. James talking about something else. So, since they're not having the same conversations, I don't think that they would have a problem with what uh, each other would say. You know, I mean, it's like, you think about Acts 21, for example, right? There's this impression that, 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 that Paul is running around telling people that are Jews, Jewish Christians, you know, you know what? Forget Moses. So, James and the elders have this idea. It's like, okay, we got these four guys, and they need to go do this purification ritual thing. So, why don't you go with them to the temple uh, and do some do this this whole thing? It'll 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 be fine. Everyone will settle down about all this. You know, why don't you go do this? Oh, and by the way, pick up the tab for the haircuts. Right? Paul's probably like, great, thanks. Uh, but he goes and does this thing with, with these four men, and, of course, chaos breaks out. Didn't go so well, right? But that just kind of shows you where James is at and where Paul's at, you know? And them getting Paul to go do this thing uh, in Jerusalem, you know, and, and, and shave the heads and pick up the tap for the haircut and all that, and then all of a sudden all chaos breaks out. But their idea was, go do that. Let's let's go do more Jewish stuff to prove this. Uh, this, this sell everyone down, and it just ends badly. So I I think that's a it's a sad story. I mean, Paul got beat, but I'm just saying it's kind of interesting uh, that they got Paul into this because of those impressions out there about him, you know. Um, but even with all of that, there's nothing about these texts in Romans and Galatians and the book of James, nothing about what they wrote under inspiration, whether you hold the opinion that they agree or not, nothing that they say contradicts one another. And nothing, and since I date James early, Paul's not dumping on James in Romans and Galatians, and for all you late daters who always want every book in the Bible to be as late as humanly possible, James is, has nothing to correct from what Paul says because James is on Team Jesus. Paul in Romans would be saying there's team works of the law and there's team Jesus. 
in Galatians, he's like, there's only team Jesus. There's not team Jesus and works of the law. James is over here talking to team Jesus and says, look, team Jesus, uh, people around here that want to be on squad, faith and works are separate. But squad, faith, and Jesus, we're the right squad, and, and Jesus is our Lord, and that means, uh, no, faith, works faith and works faith will show your works faith will uh, works will work together with faith works complete faith it, it's they're, they're distinguishable but not separable have, have this kind of faith not this kind of faith this kind of faith you won't save you you're not really on team jesus right that's that uh you're you're, you're a squad that's going to get kicked off the team that's what you are if this is your idea don't have that that's not a faith that saves have this kind of faith right these are totally different things so Anyway, that's all I have to say about that subject. I probably didn't clarify much for anybody uh, that, that's curious about my views on this. Uh, some people are probably, this all made perfect sense to. Uh, I'm thankful that those people exist. Um, but that's, the, that's, the, that's what I'm working with here. Um, that's how I understand James 2. That's how briefly, oh, there's way more that can be said about, not this, just this passage, there's way more to be said about Romans and Galatians and all the issues there, right? I'm trying to keep this under an hour, and I'm doing good so far, so I'm just going to leave it there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think these are interesting uh, conversations. I, I think uh, a lot of interesting stuff in the scholarly literature about what is faith, what, what is the relationship of faith and works, um, what is Paul on about in Romans and Galatians, you know, did the new perspective uh, get everything right, that the reformers got everything wrong, uh, is it true somewhere in there, are the apocalyptic Paul people, are they right about everything and get rid of everything else, you know, lots of stuff going on in, in, in Pauline ideas, and lots of stuff, actually, I'm glad to see is being written about James, so... Lots of stuff going out there, lots of stuff about what faith is, what works is, what works of the law is, what justification is, how justification works, um, you know, all these great things out there in the literature. So I, this is where I'm at in all of that, and I hope you find it helpful, um, and maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but um, either way, that's... that's uh, that's my take. So thank you for your time and attention, and I'll see you all next time on Trinity Radio Extra. God bless.